Welcome to Grid Talk, a series of conversations with the leaders and innovators shaping the 21st century grid. Hosting the podcast is Marty Rosenberg, an award-winning energy journalist. The series is sponsored by the Department of Energy's Office of Electricity Advanced Grid Research Division. Now, here's Marty Rosenberg with Grid Talk. Welcome to Grid Talk. Today, we're very pleased to have with us Sean Shooker, who's the chairman and president of Ameren Transmission Company based in St. Louis. Hi, Sean. How are you? I'm doing very good, Marty. Thanks for having me. Great. Let's uh, start off by letting our listeners know a little bit about the business of Ameren Transmission Company, wholly owned by the Ameren Utility. Uh, tell us what your assets are and a little bit of your business strategy. All right. So Ameren Transmission is part, as you mentioned, of Ameren Fortune 500 company. And we've been doing this business for over 100 years. Our focus is really on those high voltage parts of the system where uh, you know, if you think about the highway system, we're the backbone or the interstate highway. That's what the transmission group focuses on. And, and we focus on it primarily in the Midwest, which is Illinois and Missouri, which is where we have our traditional utilities. As part of that, we have about a little over 8,000 miles of transmission. And included in that is about 560 different transmission lines, over 400 substations, covers a about um, about 64,000 miles of service territory. So a lot of our service territory is rural. And while we have a handful of cities like St. Louis, much of where we build our transmission today is in the rural communities. And, uh, and then we focus primarily on maintaining reliability, which is job one, anytime you think about the transmission system or the distribution system. And then looking at it from how does that then fit with the cost to our customers and delivering what our customers want. And so as you think about the, you know, Ameren and what we are, what we are trying to achieve, it's really leading that way to a sustainable energy future, which as you can, as you can hear from those words, it's focused on transitioning, which is a lot of what we have going on in our country today transitioning to a, a cleaner, uh, less carbon intensive future, doing that in a way that enables our customers to do what they need to do, whether it's increase their business, maintain a household, um, you know, keep the cost down, maintain reliability, and then an issue that's becoming bigger and bigger as we see storms and, and uh, folks depending more on electricity is not only reliability, but resiliency when things happen on the system. And so as we focus on not only today, but that future in the 20, 30 years out, we really focus on how can we make sure that we are making investments that bring value to our customers to enable them to transition to a cleaner energy, focus on new efficient electrification technologies that then help them to move forward and doing that in a way that keeps costs down and is cognizant of the changing technologies that are driving, you know, not only the investments we're making today, but the investments that we'll be making on the system over the next 100 years. Sean, one of the reasons why I, I, I'm really pleased to have you with us today is because the country seems to be ready to embark on a major uh, infrastructure investment program. Um, according to the latest figures from EEI, the industry group, 
Utilities spend $140 billion a year on capital expenditure, roughly. And of that, 30% goes to distribution and 20% to transmission, or, or half of the total. As the federal government is planning to possibly inject $73 billion into the grid, what impact do you think it'll have? Where should that money go? And is it, frankly, enough? So let's kind of start out with the investment in the grid. And, you know, we're making investments today, significant investments. We, If you think about the last 10 years, we have increased the investment in our grid by nine to 10 times what we were making 10 years ago. And part of that is the transition. Part of that is the increased reliability. And then you talk about the, you know, you asked the question, Marty, related to the government and the investments. And I assume what you're asking is related to the infrastructure bill. Um, that is out there. And if you look at that, there are things in there that, you know, from from my perspective, really um, can help as we transition and make those investments for the future. One of the areas in there is related to R&D. <clears throat> and, you know, there is no doubt we are going to need significantly greater investments in the transmission space. Um, if we're going to transition to this, whether it's 80% or 100% clean energy, uh, making that uh, that transition over the next 10, 20 years, it's going to take a lot of transmission. It's going to take a lot of batteries. It's going to take a lot of solar and wind and, and distribution. So it's going to make those investments. Having the best technology and developing technology to enable us to transition, not only to allow us to move energy around the system, but allowing us to maintain the stability and the reliability on the system and doing that in the lowest cost manner possible. So R&D absolutely is the place that brings value to us. The second area in there is really around some of the permitting and helping to improve the permitting. Now, permitting takes time. And you know, if I look at some of the projects that we have embarked on over the last 10 years, Sometimes that permitting process can take three to four to five years. And then if you get into some, uh, you know, sticky areas, it may take you quite a while to get through all of that permitting process. So the investment in helping with the permitting, ensuring that we have good coordination across different uh, government agencies is important, especially when you think about the timeline of getting this done. Sean, let me interject real quickly here and on the permitting question. Um, the traditional rap is that farmers and local folks sometimes are ambivalent about having these uh, large transmission lines come through their, their fields. And, and uh, I know here in the Midwest, in Kansas, and across Missouri, there's been some dispute about transmission lines. Uh, is there any sign on the horizon that that can be addressed? Is there any new uh, architecture of transmission that enables, as, as we move to a cleaner grid, um, a way of, of kind of dampening down that, that kind of opposition? Is there any path forward here, or is there just going to be an all-out fight? So I, I think, Mario, that's a great question, and I, I really think that, you know, it, it becomes a couple areas that make this important. One is just getting consistency across the nation on what we're trying to achieve. When you have one state that wants to go 100% clean energy and the next state next to it that maybe doesn't have um, policies that are similar, 
And you need to move power back and forth across that, especially when you think about the Midwest and the strong wind regions like out in Kansas and the Dakotas and Oklahoma. Getting that consistency on what we're going to do everywhere helps. Uh, but the other part of it that you talked about is those landowners. And as a transmission developer, really making sure that you engage with the landowners and the investment on transmission early, thinking about how you can reutilize existing right-of-ways versus building completely new ones, and then being cognizant of what's happening in those farm fields. You know, 20 years ago, the size of the equipment was much smaller than it is today. So where you placed your lines 20 years ago um, would work for the equipment they had, where today that may create a problem for the farmer. So being willing to move things around and being flexible to work with the uh, you know, the landowners to meet their needs is is important, but also trying to minimize the impact by double circuiting on the same lines. You may not get the same level of reliability, but you can get pretty close and that helps to helps to mitigate some of those issues. But I think we're always, I mean, there's always been issues with putting in um, new, new lines and there will always continue to be some of those. But it, I think it's vitally important for us to make sure we engage not only those landowners, but those communities early on, understand what their concerns are and then try to address them to the point you can. And I think that's, that's been an evolution in our business as we've, you know, as we've built more and more transmission over the years. Getting back to the larger point you were making, though, you think the overarching need is to get some kind of consistency on objectives across multiple states? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, if you think about it just from a planning perspective and a cost allocation perspective, which are probably two of the biggest areas that affect transmission, Having consistency in how the states and the regulators in, in those states and at the federal level are thinking about how we should be building the system out and who is getting value from the investments we are making will help us to move forward. And so I think getting that kind of, uh, you know, consistent view on where we are heading will only help us to move forward and, and make these investments in the timelines that we're talking about, especially when you hear, you know, clean energy, you know, 80, 100% clean energy by 2035, 2040. Those can be really challenging if you don't have consistency and, uh, and, and are able to make decisions that are that are showing value to everybody out there. So um, we've been talking about a lot of the activity that takes place in your rural territory. Let me take you into St. Louis, which is your largest service territory, I assume. Um, it's one of 25 cities that Bloomberg Philanthropies has selected for its American Cities Climate Change Challenge. What challenges do you face in within an urban area like St. Louis as you get ready for EVs, increased electrification of um, real estate and office infrastructure? Um, how are you going to have to rebuild your transmission and distribution within the city? Yeah, so I, so great question again. And, and, you know, as we move to more reliance on electric technologies, whether it's electric vehicles, you know, how we heat our homes, cook our meals, all of those types of things. It's not just replacing 
like for like whenever you change over, but it's really thinking about how do you enhance the reliability on the system and, and frankly incorporate what is being used. So if you think about electric vehicles, if you can charge electric vehicles at night versus during the day where today wind is probably the, the primary um, new renewable resource that we have here in the Midwest, as you do that, that helps to reduce the loading on the system. And that makes it easier for us as we build out. You know, as you start deploying solar and batteries at the distribution level or at the transmission level, where they're located on the system can help us as we build out the system. And then making sure that we're thinking not just moving energy and capacity across the system, but looking at um, the need for stability, the need for higher um, or actually smaller bandwidth when it comes to voltage fluctuations on the system because of some of these technologies out there and making sure that we are investing in infrastructure that helps to manage that. And so when you talk about the challenges, the challenges are not only building in an urban environment, which can be even more difficult than in the in the rural environments, but it, it's also making sure that we're not making investments today that if we waited two or three years, we could have made a better investment because of you know, the technology. And so it's really trying to layer it in, making sure that investments that we are making are those kind of no regret investments and give us the flexibility as we transition in the future. To what extent will the intensification of deployment of new technology at the end of the line, you mentioned batteries, um, maybe more solar, to what extent will that mitigate the need for large transmission projects cross country or is it just the nature of where the solar and wind is that we're going to have to ha work on both ends? Yeah, so I think it's really a combination of what you said, both ends, because regardless of whether it's solar, uh, batteries, wind, it's really an optimization of the system. And if you said, okay, we're going to just put all solar and batteries in locally, that, given where technology is at today, is going to have a really large impact on customers. And so it's that kind of balance between, you know, wind, solar, batteries, transmission, new technologies like hydrogen, then, the, you know, the, the electric vehicles and how they may play in, and trying to balance that all out to get an optimal solution that not only ensures reliability, but helps to keep the cost down to our customers and make sure that the investments that are being made on the system fit the pace and change that our customers are demanding, whether it's for renewable energy or whether it's for new technologies becoming electric vehicles or, or other electrification opportunities. I, I'd like to, uh, Sean, focus on two projects that your, your uh, company has been involved in to help get into the weeds a little more and give our listeners a flavor of, of what you're doing. One is the Illinois River Project, um, which was completed, I believe, December 2020. It was a $1.4 billion project, your largest ever transmission project at Ameren. And it was a, it was a part of a multi-state project, which gets to your point you made earlier that the need for consistency of infrastructure strategies across a broader region. Tell us a little bit about how it came to be and uh, what you think it, it, its main successes have been. Yeah, so the Illinois Rivers Projects was part of what we call the multi-value projects out of the Mid-Continent ISO. 
And these, these projects were identified back in 20, in, approved in 2011 um, to basically meet three goals. One was to help improve reliability on the system. Second goal was to ensure that we were keeping costs down on the system. And the third was to meet policy goals. And at that time, it was renewable standards. And so as we built out the system, that Illinois River project was just one of several projects in the Mid-Continent ISO that were all kind of fit together for us to deliver you know, uh, wind energy and that across the footprint of the Mid-Continent ISO and deliver renewable energy there. And so we're, what were some of the, the value? When you look at it, I mean, first and foremost, the benefits to cost were significant. And so just making these investments, helping to drive down costs to our customers as we transition is one of the unbelievable value points that you got from this. And, you know, when you go into it quite often, you look at that and you're looking at planning, you're saying things are going to change. What has happened with the, with the multi-value projects, which included the Illinois Rivers project, is that the benefits actually increased from what was originally estimated. And so that benefit to cost ratio has improved over time. And, and that's valuable as we think about the future and transmission, what we're estimating today, because we often get pushback of, well, you're not gonna see that value. But what we've actually seen is it creates more value. And I think one of the other areas is around reliability. If you think about winter storm URI that just happened last February, we had designed the system to flow most of the power west to east, which, you know, you got the strong wind zones and it flows to the east. But what happened with Winter Storm Uri was we flowed a ton of energy from the from the PJM region across the Midcontinent ISO to, you know, the south of the MISO and then also into SPP. That was a, a benefit by having this strong system as we lost um you know, natural gas resources and other uh, uh, renewable resources than that to the south and southwest that allowed us to maintain as much reliability as we could on the system and flowing significant powers. I think that's important as we think about that next uh, tranche of investments, because as we're flowing more and more power across the system, we're going to see that these transmission lines create values in ways that we may not have thought about when we first went into them. I think that's that's just one of the learnings. It was also one of the great wins that I see from these uh, multi-value projects. And then if I could get, just add one more in, Marty, is really the local benefits. And you know, when you think about landowners and, and the, the impact that we talked about earlier, what we've seen with the Illinois River projects going into it was you know, some hesitancy, but we delivered by working with local contractors and and bringing revenues, whether it's tax revenue or jobs to those communities, that we also created a significant amount of value that helps as we think about future investments with transmission. So to, to just put a fine point on it, what you're saying relative to the winter storms that hit in February down in Texas, crippling the state, you saw a payback on this investment um, three months after you electrified it. Absolutely. And, and it wasn't just to Texas. I'm not, it was to customers here in the Midwest. It was to customers down in the Southwest. It was across the area that was impacted by that winter storm. The other project uh, I want to take you to caught my eye because 
when I think of Ameren, I, I think of a conservative, well-run utility um, that keeps to its knitting. But you're involved in a New Mexico project called Lucky Carter that um, is, what, about 180 miles of transmission that's going to enable 1,700 megawatts of transmission capacity, primarily to help New Mexico bring wind to market. Talk a little bit about that and what brought a St. Louis-based company to New Mexico in the first place. Yes, another great question, Marty. So just to step back, we look at making transmission investments where we can utilize our skill sets and our capabilities uh, to bring value to the customers. And as we looked at, uh, you know, not only what we do here in the Midwest, but we, we also look for opportunities in other areas. And in this case, we, we became aware of an opportunity where a project had been developed. It was in need of capital. It was in need of some uh, planning, engineering uh, capabilities to kind of help bring it along. And what was so interesting to us is it ties into a region, the, the northeast of, of New Mexico, that has really strong solar and wind resources, but doesn't have a very strong transmission infrastructure to be able to get that, those resources out. And so, you know, looking at our capabilities to design, build, operate uh, transmission, looking at the value this could bring to the customers, not only in New Mexico, who are driving towards a, uh, a, a clean energy environment, but could, could open up access to resources that could then support Arizona and, uh, you know, Colorado, California and areas like that. We just looked at that and said, hey, this is an opportunity that makes a lot of sense, that matches up our, our capabilities with the needs of the customers in those areas. And so we continue to work uh, with the local um, customers, but also with uh, developers to identify and, and put in place transmission assets that's going to open up that area. And, and once you open it up, as we've seen in other areas, once you get in and open up that area, that just helps to build more and more, whether it's, whether it's economic development in the north of New Mexico or it's access to that larger level of renewables and high quality renewables, which we're going to need uh, across the country. Sure. I'd like to, to move to another topic um, just to get your insights on it. There's a lot of concern about grid security with bad actors, nation states, criminals, hacking into the system and our country and our industry have done a number of exercises and put procedures in place to address that. Uh, in terms of your job uh, overseeing Ameren Transmission, um, how has that changed your work? How prepared do you think you are? Do you have a lot of new policies in place? Um, is your comfort level fairly high or do you go to bed every night a little nervous about what might come over the horizon? It's one of the areas that I think we continue to make improvements on. And you mentioned the work that's going on across the industry. And what I'm really proud of in our industry is how we all work together to continue to improve, whether it's on, you know, response to storms or the safety with our coworkers, or in this case, the, the resilience and reliability of our system from a cyber perspective. And, and so we do a lot, whether it's trying to, uh, you know, ring fence our systems to the extent possible, 
uh, making sure that all of our employees are resp- are are ready and you know are looking for things like phishing attacks and that. But at the same time, we recognize this is an ever-changing landscape that we are participating in. And every day, the actors, the threat actors are getting better and better, which means that we have to continue to get better and better. So when you ask, am I comfortable? The answer is, I think we are doing the things that we need to, but I don't, I'm not sure I ever get 100% comfortable because the threat actors are getting better and better. And we have to keep upping our game every day. And, and that takes a lot of focus on making sure that we're making the right investments in systems. We're making the right investments in our employees so that they are prepared. And then that we're coordinating with others to make sure that we are as aware as we can be of what those threat actors may look like. The last question I'd like to ask you, Sean, is you've been in, in this industry if I recall correctly, 30 plus years um, from your bio. That is correct. Tell me how the business is different now in terms of the intellectual challenge and the personal gratification as the world that you deal with is changing much more rapidly and the challenges to your assignment seem to me getting infinitely more complex. How is that as a place to work and uh, how do you personally deal with it? So... It has changed. And, and, you know, you think back in the 80s when I first came into this industry, you know, it was pretty steady kind of work. Um, You know, not a lot changing. We weren't, you know, while we had growth, we didn't have the significant change out in our, our generation resources. We didn't have all of the changes that are going on today. And we absolutely didn't have the issues that you were talking about just before with the cyber um, and so those kind of things have really accelerated for us, whether it's how quickly we're going to change over the, the energy resources, how our customers are demanding higher and higher levels of reliability, um, or how we have to make investments that meet those while keeping the cost down. And, and I personally find that exciting. You know, I'm an engineer by training. As engineers, our job and our training is how do you solve problems? And, and make sure that you're getting the right opportunity. And so I think this is an exciting industry to be in with what we are trying to achieve to help with the energy transition, to reduce the, uh, the impacts of carbon and uh, our society. We're right in the middle of it. And we are providing solutions that help to enable other technologies while helping to keep our costs down and keeping the reliability for our customers, which is vital. So it's an exciting place to be. And I can tell you, if I was a new engineer coming out today, this is absolutely an industry I would look at because we have the opportunity to provide solutions to issues that matter to all of society. What a great place to be. I appreciate talking with you today, Sean. Thanks very much for joining us. Well, I appreciate the time today, Marty, and thank you very much. And thanks for listening to Grid Talk. Our guest has been Sean Shooker, who's the chairman and president of Ameren Transmission Company. You have been listening to Grid Talk. Please send us your feedback or questions to gridtalk at nrel.gov. And we encourage you to give the podcast a rating or review on your favorite platform. For more information about the podcast series or to subscribe, 
visit smartgrid.gov. Thanks for listening to Grid Talk, presented by the U.S. Department of Energy Office of Electricity Advanced Grid Research Division. Subscribe through your favorite podcast provider or visit smartgrid.gov for more information.